Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Thank you so much, worshiping. That was awesome. Feels so good to just to spend time in the Lord. It's been a busy week, hasn't it? It's been a, a very distracting week. I'm sure lots of things in our lives going on in the world, and it's so important not just on Sundays, but uh, throughout the week, just to take some time to pause. So thank you, team, for helping us to do that, to cherish the presence of the Lord in this place. On the way over today, uh, I took a picture. It was beautiful sunshine. It's been raining the last day or two. So as on my drive from Columbus to Dayton, as I got closer, I took a picture of the beautiful blue skies, and uh, it turned into kind of a phenomenon uh, that I want to highlight this morning in terms of what we all know throughout our lives that some things just need to be repeated. As a dad, uh, I'm gonna be a grandfather here in a few months for the first time, so I'm definitely in the dad joke uh, category now, legitimately. And so um, I, I posted what I thought was a joke and on Facebook and my friends are not getting it. And so I'm like, are you kidding? In 2022, uh, instead of, you know, smiley faces, they're posting thumbs up and I'm like, okay, well, that means you didn't get the joke. And so uh, I know everybody in Dayton clearly understands this joke because it's about Dayton. It's a, good, it's a good-hearted joke. But then I thought, you know what? I'll bet even at Grace Crossing today, there are some folks who've never heard this joke before. So I'm going to tell you not only because it is downright hilarious, uh, as all dad jokes are, however, but just to prove the point, in fact, there's a, a common uh, theme that I have with your pastor, Gil, going back uh, decades in our friendship on this same note. So here's the joke. Um, do you all know where Engagement Ohio is? How many are rolling your eyes because you know where, right? All right, some of you don't know where it's at. And so all of those of you who do know where Dayton, where Engagement Ohio is, give you a little hint there. All right, on the count of three, you tell me the answer. Where is Engagement Ohio? One, two, three, it's between <laughs> Dayton and Marion. Uh, get it? All right. Now, how many of you have never heard that Dayton joke today? All right. You've never, in your whole life. I can't believe that. I have heard that for decades. I thought everybody from Dayton knew that, and some of you are like, what's fun? I don't get it. What? Uh, so we'll explain it to you afterwards. Well, that just proves the point that some things need repeating. I mentioned uh, your pastor, Gil, and uh, we're glad that he and Kelly could get some time away today. Uh, we'll continue to pray for them and believing for her healing and, and for a good restoration of their minds and peace and all of that. So uh, Gil and I, as many of you know, I think by now have met when we were younger in ministry. We're both in our 20s and we're both youth ministers. And it wound up that we both worked at the same office. We both left our churches to move to Columbus and we worked at the state headquarters for the Assemblies of God. If you're ever in the Polaris area, if you like Ikea or Topgolf, that's where our resource center is. That's where we work. And so Gil and I did a lot of things together because we worked in the same office, including going on a tour of Ohio every fall. We have Ohio broken down into 14 geographic areas. And so Gil and I and the whole team, we would travel and our boss, the superintendent, he would usually preach and MC. And so we would do this 14 nights in a row, which uh, is a couple of breaks in the month of October. So after the first one, after the second one, you kind of get all the kinks worked out and it's the same program every night. And then it would start to set in to both Gil and I in our 20s. Uh, 
And we realized we were in store for night after night of the same jokes. And at, you know, after those first two or three, I was like, okay, ha ha, ha ha, now let's move on. But no, when something works, you just keep doing it, right? And so night after night, and then uh, Gil and I would just, we'd look at each other in the back of the room, we'd roll our eyes, and we're like, don't encourage him. Don't encourage him, people. But they'd laugh, they'd laugh. That's where I heard this joke. Uh, people ask how I, how I sleep with all this going on. I tell them I sleep like a baby. I sleep a little, I cry a little. I sleep a little, I cry a little. That's how I sleep. And oh, people would just laugh and laugh. Well, Gil and I found a story uh, that we had heard of because we were both youth ministers. And maybe you've heard this here before. Maybe Gil's even shared this illustration before. I wrote about it in a book that I wrote about five, six years ago about Gil and I having this uh, common viewpoint on the story of the desperate starfish. I mean, have you all heard about that story before? You know, <sighs> see, you're proving my point, right? So... <laughs> Gil and I, decades ago, had thought that everybody in the whole world had heard this illustration before. It's a great illustration about the starfish and the, and the little boy, or sometimes it's a little girl in the story, and, they, and there's a whole beach full of starfish, and they're all marooned on the beach, and this little child goes up and picks a starfish and, and gently throws it back into the water, and some crusty old adult comes along and says, you know, you'll, you can't make a difference for all these starfish. You know, there's just too many of them. And the child looks up into the adult's eyes and says, but I made a difference in that one's life, you know? And so there's the whole moral of the story, you know, make a difference in somebody's life. How many of you have never heard that story before today? Anybody? Oh, wow, see? And so Gil and I could not believe as we hear the story and people would cry. And, and because, you know, ministers would use this as a sermon illustration to close and to get everybody to come to the altar. And we're like, we cannot believe we'd heard that over and over again. I was just recently at a high school graduation. I texted Gil because one of the, the speech givers that day used the Starfish illustration in 2022. Here we are. And my goodness, we can go on and on and on about the jokes and the stories and the anecdotes that people have never heard. But man, does it ever bring home the point that if there's any story that needs to get told over and over and over again, and that there are still too many people, not only around the world, but here in Dayton who will raise their hand and say, I've never heard that. It's the story of what our Savior has done, amen? I mean, isn't that the greatest story ever told? Doesn't that story need to be told over and over again? And in fact, as we have seen just this week, in too many different cases, uh, across the oceans, in Europe and Eurasia, where our heads are just shaking in disbelief, we're, we're seeing in real time. I think there's a, there's a generation of young people who've maybe never seen this their whole lives to see that a, an entire country is being shut down with open news. And, and you go to prison if you declare anything that is outside the narrative of what the dictator is saying has to be. Now we know throughout history that has happened, but in, in this era, it's shocking for people to hear that, that there could be that kind of distortion and control over what is shared and therefore what is not shared. And we're seeing even revelations on an ongoing basis now in our own country about how due to various political motivations, certain agencies and organizations are choosing not to talk about this. It's, it's unbelievable. And so it just drives home the point that, that there is definitely a constant need 
for us as believers to share the story of Jesus, to share his love, to share his mercy, to share his hope. In fact, I saw a, a very interesting article uh, just came out this weekend on a, a, a website, a blog uh, organization called the Gospel Coalition. And it was so shocking because uh, it was using statistics, not Christian statistics, but government statistics and broad national surveys to reinforce that contrary to what so many people are hearing about the church, because you know the enemy works overtime to make sure people can't discover the hope and the transformation and the confidence and the forgiveness that, that is available through Jesus Christ. Of course, the enemy chooses the church all the time to, to twist and distort. And it was actually kind of shocking to read this report to say, did you know who's more likely than anybody else in the United States to adopt children who are in need? It's people who follow the teachings of Jesus. Did you know who's more likely than anybody else according to surveys and government statistics to demonstrate, to echo the fact that they are enjoying positive mental health? It's people who give evidence of following the teachings of Jesus. Do you know who's more likely than anybody else to enjoy a fulfilling and, and lengthy uh, sex life? It's people who follow the teachings of Jesus. The people who are more likely than anybody else to give to the needy and not only their money, but also their time. It's Jesus followers. People who are more likely than anybody else to demonstrate their compassion for their fellow man. This is the last thing that the enemy wants people to understand, but it's the truth. And of course, for people who've been following Jesus for a long time, that's no surprise. Of course, that makes sense. But we, even as believers, if we're not careful, we can begin to chant the mantra that the enemy wants to have people believe, that Christians are harsh, that Christians are the most judgmental, that Christians are whatever adjective, and are there examples here or there? There certainly are, which of course is another subject and why it's so important that we as believers individually live out the true gospel. But man, the hope that is in Jesus Christ, as you have been enjoying this series, finding rest in the mystery, finding confidence in the mystery of Jesus Christ. I wanna turn your attention today to a familiar passage from 2 Corinthians chapter one. And my hope and prayer today is that we would not be guilty, that we would not be found lacking in making sure this very basic truth about deliverance, about the ongoing state of deliverance that the Lord has in mind for his children would be not only registered in our hearts, but would be something that we could share with hope to a world in need. Second Corinthians chapter one, uh, starting with verse three, and I was late in getting my notes here. Am I gonna read this or do we have this on the screen today? No screen, I'll just read it to you, all right. Great, First, uh, Second Corinthians chapter one, verse three, three through 11. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our tribulation, even when our brackets are busted on the first weekend, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. 
Or as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. If we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the suffering, so also you will partake of the consolation. Nor do we not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us while we were in Asia. We were burdened beyond measure above strength so that we despaired even of our life. Yes, we had the death, the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, verse 10, and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. And finally, verse 11, you also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. I wanna share God's word and open that up to us today regarding the mystery of deliverance. Verse 10 is our key verse here. The mystery of deliverance. Verse 10, he delivered us from so great a death. He does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. Anybody who follows the teachings of Paul, anyone who has lived uh, a few years here on this planet, especially years serving Jesus Christ as Savior, you know this to be true. Christianity... Coming to know Jesus as Savior is not some magic wand. It's not some pill or Kool-Aid that is swallowed and then all of a sudden everything is, is fine. Things are definitely improved in many ways. But we are in a state of ongoing deliverance until the day in which we meet Jesus. Delivered, delivered, delivered. We have been delivered. We are being delivered and we will be delivered once and for all, ultimately. There are times when you and I bring additional unnecessary seasons of confusion and doubt into our lives by our own sinful, selfish, unwise choices. That's, that's pretty clear, right? By now, by now, even though some have a hard time acknowledging the source when it is themselves. It's a hard pill to swallow when we have to recognize that our own choices are responsible for some of the pain and the confusion we're walking through. However, it is clear that simply by living and breathing on planet Earth, whether we did anything wrong or not, we each qualify as a contestant on that game show. Who wants to be a sufferer? That's just how it is. Jesus said, they will revile and persecute you and they will say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. He didn't pull any punches. We don't get from Jesus that serving him is a hassle-free life. Jesus is also the one who said the rains descended, the floods came and the winds blew and they only beat on the foolish man's house. Praise the Lord. Let's is that what Matthew chapter seven says? No. It says that the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and they beat on the wise man's house, just like they beat on the foolish man's house. The difference 
was the foundation. The wise man's house was built on the rock of God's word. And so his house was able to stand. It was the foolish man's house who was built on the shaking sand of human wisdom. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. He knows suffering. He knows persecution. He knows pain and sorrow and despair. He knows that disappointment will all be a part of every human life. In fact, he experienced it all himself. So he knows what it's like when we go through it too. However, Jesus, who was the word, the word made flesh, also said, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. Jesus said the wise man's house did not fall for it was founded upon the rock. Jesus said, yes, you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. God has delivered us. He's delivering us right now and he will deliver us. For some folks, that remains a challenging mystery. How could a good God, how could a good God permit in the here and now for, for me or my loved ones to go through all this tribulation, to have these kinds of, of waters rise and these kinds of winds blow? Jesus understands our need for deliverance and Jesus has provided it. First of all, let's look back. God has delivered us. God has delivered us. For me, it was, it was, I was age six. I remember with my father kneeling down with me in our house and he led me in a prayer. He, he had asked me if I wanted to, to receive Jesus as my savior and to have my sins forgiven. And, and I said, yes. And I will never forget that image in my mind. I remember, as we saw the screen a few moments ago, it was when I was age seven that I was water baptized. I remember these kinds of things as I'm sure many of you do here. In fact, I appreciated so much the reference to our fathers during our worship song today, how true. For some people, the image of a heavenly father is really difficult to wrap your minds around because for some people, uh, either having an absent father the majority of their lives or having a distant father or an abusive father or whatever other adjective and real life turmoil helps define for that person what a father is. It can be challenging to just simply accept like that, that he is a good, good father, right? We've heard that before. But I also wanna encourage you, if that's your story today, you're looking at a man in his 50s and, and my children are serving the Lord. My children have never known their whole lives anything but having a, a wonderful mother and hopefully a halfway decent father and being raised in the care and the nurture of the saints of God. But you know, they're not alone because my wife and I have that same story. Our fathers, our mothers raised us in this caring, nurturing environment and guess what? Their parents did the same. But if you go back to my great-grandfather, that was not the case. In fact, my grandfather was not raised that way. My grandfather was raised in an abusive household. My grandfather was raised uh, to, to drink alcohol until you were drunk, and then, you know, you just got to blow off steam. It doesn't matter who gets hurt. 
My grandfather was raised in a home that was critical towards preachers and the things of God, would, would never step foot in, in a church and would, and would look for every opportunity to, to make fun of things of the church, people who declared the Bible. But it was my grandfather who encountered the Lord in a very real and powerful way, and it transformed his life. And so when he got married to a Christian and they began to raise their children, they began to preach and teach in churches and to, to plant multiple churches, something was broken. Somebody was delivered from successive generations of abuse in many ways. And so as I'm here today standing in front of you and so many, so many people have a similar testimony to mine, if you're here today and you don't have that in your background, I wanna encourage you, I wanna thank you for putting one foot in front of another and saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna figure this thing out with the help of the Lord. I, I'm gonna keep pressing into God's word. I don't understand everything about his word or about his people, but I know there's something here. I know what God has done in my life. I know about this transformation in my heart and it's real. Can I encourage you with eyes of faith to see a generation or two down the road and what you did not experience that you should have when you were younger, you are creating the culture and the scenario and the family lineage for your children and your grandchildren to enjoy because somebody along the line has to make the decision, things are gonna change. Things are gonna be different. And I'm so glad that my grandfather decided to make that choice. And it's a choice that you can make as well with his help. God has delivered us. In fact, it's so important to remember, like I just did for you, if I were to pass this mic, we would be here all day hearing the stories of people in this room who can say, I remember when I accepted Jesus. I remember when, when I realized that I didn't have to carry this burden of sin anymore, that, that God had already paid. I remember that. Oh, what, that was the best decision I ever made. God encourages his people to not forget what he has done for them. Frederick Buchner, in his book, A Room Called Remember, describes remembering the good things of God as a searching and a finding. He says, when we search the past, when we go back in our minds, we find examples of God's faithfulness, faithfulness to us, and this brings hope that he will continue to be loving and gracious in the future, and he will. In fact, he illustrates the story of the children of Israel when they were coming out of bondage after 40 years uh, in, in wandering through the wilderness and they're getting close to, to crossing into the Holy Land. God told his children after he stopped the flooded Jordan River from flowing to gather some stones from the riverbed and place them near their camp. Joshua said, these stones are to be a memorial to the peoples of the earth, now and forever, so that you might always fear the Lord your God. God's journal, of course, scripture records many more examples than just that of his children setting up memorials. The Lord Jesus, for example, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, the apostle Paul explained, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. This do in remembrance of me. So when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we go back in our minds and we remember 
not only what he did for us, but we remember why Jesus came. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God knew that we would need memorials, whatever the type, to remind us of his love for us. And a few hundred years after the Israelites entered the promised land, sure enough, they began to forget God. And so through the prophet named Micah, God sent them a message that could be summed up in one phrase. My people, remember your journey. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but, but that crossing the river Jordan, it's pretty interesting because before they crossed, they were on this side and, and they were in a place that was called Shittim, which means acacia, a thorny tree a painful place. And then the Hebrew word Gilgal, that's my nickname for Kelly. <laughs> See folks, I'll be here all week. I mean, there's so many of these. The word Gilgal means rolling. And concerning the Jordan River, the Zondervan Pictorial Bible Atlas says it is the lowest depression on earth. So God took his people from a painful place through the lowest depression on earth and led them to a land that was rolling, rolling with milk and honey. And that's when he asked them to build the stones to remember the deliverance that he had brought them through. When they are in danger of forgetting his faithfulness to deliver them, he tenderly called them my people and exhorted them to remember once more. And he did it because he loved them. Can you hear the Holy Spirit saying to you today, especially if this is a tough season? My child, my daughter, my son, Remember, remember my faithfulness. Remember the deliverance that I have brought you through. I've not brought you this far just to leave you now. Remember, I've shared before in this, in this setting about November 23rd, 1996, the, the day that the Ohio State Buckeyes lost their only game of the year to the Michigan Wolverines and the same day that I found out I had cancer, cancer of the lymph nodes, Hodgkin's disease. I remember that day, but I also remember July 10th, my grandfather's birthday the next year, because after chemo and radiation and a whole lot of prayer, I heard the doctor tell me, John, you no longer have cancer. You, I, I don't, you're healed, you don't have cancer. And that was more than 25 years ago. You bet, we remember those places because God has been faithful to us. He has delivered us. Every time we take communion, it celebrates the greatest miracle of deliverance we will ever experience. I mean, God will heal our bodies. He will restore marriages. He will help us with our finances. He will answer prayers, but he'll never do anything greater for us than setting us free from our sins. So every time we take these communion cups and, and these wafers and, and the juice, we remind ourselves that God has delivered us, but he's not done. He's delivering us right now. We can put God in a box. Some people say don't put God in a box. Well, well, depending on what you mean, I think it's okay to put him in a box. It's, it's called his word. He's never gonna lie. You can put him in the box of his word and you will find him faithful. You will find him powerful. Today, right now, in this worship setting and all over the planet Earth, God is delivering people right now. He's delivering them from being lost. Proverbs says, I love them that love me and those that seek me early shall find me. 
He's delivering people right now from strife. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Psalm 29, 11. Right now, today, he's delivering people from bondage. The Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, freedom. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The Lord is delivering us from weakness. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians 4. He's delivering us from that sense of longing because he satisfies a longing soul. He fills the hungry soul with goodness, Psalm 107. He delivers us from our lack of what we need. All things whatsoever you ask in prayer, you shall receive if you believe, Matthew 21. He delivers us from seasons of questioning. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven, Psalm 119. He delivers you and me from our lack of direction. Your word is a lamp to my feet. Your word is a light to my path, Psalm 119. God delivers us from our enemies. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Romans 8. God delivers us from worry. He delivers us from grief, from confusion, fear, impossibility, need. He delivers us from abandonment. He delivers us from poverty, from, from faithlessness, from demonic attacks, from eternal damnation, from sin. He delivers us from illness, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, Psalms, Psalm 103. He is delivering us right now. Whatever it is that you are facing, Remember how he delivered you from your sins. Remember how he delivered you from so many trials and, and tough circumstances in the past. You didn't even know how you were gonna make it. That same God, that same love, that same compassion, that same strength, that same assurance, that same presence delivering us today. And finally, he will still deliver us. We have been delivered we are being delivered, and we will be delivered. Marlon appropriately reminded us a few moments ago, what we're seeing on the news right now is just incredibly challenging to stomach, and we're thousands of miles away. I'm sure everybody in this place has said a prayer, hopefully more than one, has shed a tear, probably many tears, the horrific suffering that is going on right now in Ukraine, on both sides, both sides. So much pain, loss of life, unbelievable, unspeakable, cruelty, inexplicable, end of life. And this isn't the only war that this planet has seen. God will still deliver us. You know, there. There has never been a single war in the history of the world, ever, where so many people who follow Jesus are simultaneously worldwide aware of this opportunity to pray. That's true. It's just the truth. And I believe that God has plans. I believe that we're gonna hear many, many stories of how the people of God, how the, the mystery of what was happening behind the scenes will manifest itself in a way that gives glory and which shows us how God was working. We're continuing to pray. He will deliver us from terrorism. He will deliver us from addictions and from substance abuse. He'll deliver us from 
inflation. I was grateful the bank approved my loan to fill my car up to come over here today. He, he will deliver us. He will deliver us from severe illness. He will deliver us from sexual promiscuity and sexual deviations. He will deliver us from conflict. But you know, it starts in the church. It always has and it always will begin with the people in the community of worship. You know, in the Old Testament, in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, many of us have verse 14 committed to memory. If the world will, no, that's not what it says. If my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive the sins of my people. Right? I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. It starts with the people of God. We are together as collectively as 280 churches right here in Ohio, believing God for some, from, for some supernatural advancements to see people in Ohio forgiven, healed, and whole through a 10-year strate- strategic initiative called Ohio for Jesus. On your own time, you can look at ohioforjesus.com and, and see all the examples of what we're believing God for. We're becoming spiritually desperate. We're trying to see this sleeping giant called the church wake up because it starts with the people of God. And everything that I mentioned a few moments ago, addictions and, and illness and promiscuity and conflict and on and on and on, it's already in the church. Yes, it's in the world, but it's in the church. Just last week in another part of the state, I heard a testimony of a, of a senior citizen, an old man coming forward and, and, and crying and asking the, the elders at the church, please pray for his sexual addiction that was breaking up his marriage and, and breaking up his family. If we start in the people of God, if we can begin to believe right here in the house of God that God will deliver us, if we will turn from our wicked ways, if we will have a spiritual desperation to say, God, we cannot do it on our own. We we cannot deliver ourselves only through your word, only through your Holy Spirit. Watch what happens when God wakes up the sleeping giant and it is a giant. In a state like Ohio, the men and women who represent the church of Jesus Christ, it is a giant. And I'm praying that you will join us, pray with us for a supernatural awakening of God's people. Because if God begins to bring healing to the house of the Lord, Watch out to see how he will transform this entire land that we call Ohio. There were three storms uh, that have a lot of similarity. We read about in scripture. This is how I close today. Jonah chapter one had a storm at sea, a famous storm because of Jonah's disobedience in not following the direction of the Lord. And we know about the storm that came up and they, they tossed Jonah overboard. And of course, then that led to him going to Nineveh where the Lord worked a real miracle. In Mark chapter four, the disciples of Jesus were on the Sea of Galilee and there was a tremendous storm. 
And of course, Jesus calmed that storm. And in Mark chapter six, there was another storm at sea, again involving Jesus and the disciples. Do you know what's interesting? I mean, there's many things that are interesting and common about all three of these storms at sea, which involve the people of God to one degree or the other. In all three of those storms, it, it was so ferocious that those who were pinning the scriptures made the comment that everybody on board feared exceedingly. The men feared the Lord exceedingly because of the storm in Jonah. They feared exceedingly in Mark 4. They were greatly amazed beyond measure at the storm. In other words, these storms were off the charts. In every one of these cases, the, the people on the boats thought they were going to die, right? That's how bad it is. Have you ever been on a boat at, at sea in the midst of a storm? Yeah, I'm sure. I, I don't want to be. I'm sure that would be an awfully horrific feeling to be out there with all those waves tossing. You would feel so small and so helpless because land would be so far away. The storms were huge, off the charts. I'm hoping that nobody in this room today is walking through a storm like that in your life, but we have them. We have them. I hope I never walk through another one like hearing that I have cancer. But what you and I need to have resolved in our hearts and our minds is no matter how exceedingly or how great the storm that comes our way might be. And let's be real, they're, they're hard. They're, I mean, we're not just making this up. Sometimes, sometimes we don't come through the storm completely unaffected. Sometimes like that, that house on the rock, scripture didn't say it, had, it didn't have some broken windows. It probably had a few busted doors. Maybe they had to replace the siding. The point is that it was still standing. Sometimes the result of the storms we face results in us having an early advancement to heaven. That's just the truth. That's what happens sometimes in the storms. So the result of making it through the storm has never been coming out on the other side, everything intact. Some of the most beautiful children of God are the ones with the biggest scars because they, they had to go through that storm and it, it didn't leave them unscathed. But it's the condition of the heart and the soul that really matters. That's the prize. That's the prize that heaven has in mind. How is our heart, how is our soul, how is our walk with the Lord getting refined and getting perfected and getting more beautiful as a result not only of the storms, but also as a result of the triumphs and the victories and the deliverance. Doesn't matter if it looks like on human charts, it's a really good day or a really bad day. The goal of heaven is to make sure our heart is a little more like Jesus. Because when we are finally delivered, <laughs> when we're finally delivered, that's what everybody's gonna want. With the eyes of faith, Lord, help us. When we get to heaven, we're not going to want to show them the x-rays and the CAT scans that we've got everything completely clear and clean. Nothing was ever broken. I never had any disease. And if I did, everything was back to normal. That is not your goal. And that is not my goal. 
I remember our oldest son taking him to the orthopedic surgeon, not once, but twice. Football injuries, both times. Same arm, both times. But the second visit was entirely different than the first. The first visit, the, the break was up here closer to his wrist, and the surgeon did a great job fixing it. But a year later, same arm, same sport, same son, but this year, the break was up here. And so when the doctor took the x-ray, same doctor, he put the x-ray up and he looked at it and under the lights and everything, he just began to smile and it was noticeable. He was happy. My son's arm was broken and here he is smiling. I said, what, 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 what do you see? He said, oh, I'm just admiring my work from last year. <laughs> he said, this first break has evidence of calcification. In other words, this bone was set so well, it has evidence that it was broken because of all the extra calcium that came along. And he said, so what I did is I gave your son a stronger arm than what he had when he walked in here. The problem is now that's so strong that when there's pressure applied, it's not gonna break there anymore, it's gonna break up here. And that's what happened this time. And we'll fix this one too. Wow, what perspective. What perspective. That's the goal of these storms. Not, not scar-free living. It's having our resolve, our spiritual spine, our heart for the Lord strengthened for what lies ahead. Even if renewing our strength puts us in a position of taking a step of faith or walking in a risk that would ultimately take our life prematurely as it did all of the disciples that we read about in scripture. Because that's not the goal. The goal is not hassle-free living. The goal is a soul that's becoming more and more like Jesus every day. The timing and the severity of storms, be encouraged, are no match for God's strength and for his sovereignty. I didn't want my grandmother to die. She died too young. She had a lung disease and, and, and she didn't even get to come to my wedding and my, my wife didn't really get to know the grandma that I knew. But at her funeral, when seven relatives came, relatives who, seven relatives came forward to give their life to Jesus. Relatives who likely would have died or been unable to attend her funeral had she lived another 10 or 20 years we began to understand, oh my goodness, look what God did. Look what God did in the midst of our pain and the storm. He had something even, and my grandmother would, would want nothing more than to see these loved ones come to know Jesus. The timing and severity of the storms are no match in God's overall plan for his strength, nothing's too difficult for him, and his sovereignty to know how it's all gonna work together to prepare our hearts and as many hearts as possible for that ultimate deliverance. Matthew chapter 10 says it this way, do not fear those, I would say people, circumstances, storms. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, rather, Fear him, respect him, honor him who's able to destroy both the body and the soul in hell. 
That's the strength. God who is able to do all of that and to redeem us and bring us to heaven. Not in perfect condition here on earth, but in the position of being perfected. So that when we have our ultimate deliverance, he will deliver us. We will say it was worth it all. We'd rather be nowhere, storms or sunny skies. We'd rather be nowhere than right in the center of where God wants us to be, covered by his presence, lifted up by his strength. We have been delivered. We are being delivered and we will be delivered. Would you pray with me? Oh God, I thank you just in rehearsing the illustrations today, just remembering your word, it, it builds my confidence today. I don't want to go through some of those trials again. I just don't. I remember, Lord, I remember. But what I remember more is when my entire family gathered around me when I was going through cancer and how they they put their hands on me. I had brothers, my sister and parents, and I remember what a godly heritage. I don't want to walk through that again, but Lord, your strength was amazing. Kelly doesn't want to walk through this, this chapter again. We are believing for her complete deliverance, but her testimony is whatever, whatever the Lord wants to accomplish in her life. We thank you, Lord God that you do all things well, even when your definition of well does not fit what we would describe. We have people in this room today who have children and spouses and loved ones who are, are not walking with you today, and this is a storm in their life. People here with, with their own bodies or their loved ones who are facing an uphill physical challenge some of us are facing a storm of relationships that have been broken and it's, it's just tearing our heart apart. Financial circumstances that, that we didn't see coming, the crazy housing market, and on and on and on. And right now, millions of saints, and we do not know their name, but their world has been completely turned upside down because of what's going on in Ukraine, elsewhere in the world. Lord, whatever the storm today, we pray that that will be our confidence. We won't fear the storms. We won't fear the people, the circumstances. They can kill our bodies, but they can't touch our soul. Rather, we honor you. Lord, you have the power of life and death. You have the power of eternity in your hands, the love that sent your only son to die in our place. Father, help us today to remember if we need to go home today and set some stones up, put something in our calendar as a reminder of the faithfulness of God, we praise you today because you have delivered us. We thank you, Lord God, because right now you are in the process of delivering us and you are the one, the same God who will deliver us. Now, down the road, and for eternity, oh God, when we will no longer need to be delivered day by day because you have delivered us once and for all. We take rest today in that mystery. Lord, help us to turn that into peace and faith and confidence in you as your Holy Spirit moves among us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Amen. Thank you so much for being in the house of the Lord this morning. You've got a beautiful day ahead of you. The temperatures only go up from here tomorrow. Enjoy, encourage someone, and and think about it. What stones, what memorial can you set up before the end of the day to remind you of the goodness of God? God bless you. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.